0: Let's pray together, Lord God. Uh, so this morning, I uh, I'm asking in particular that you'd a- awaken dead hearts. Oh, there's there's just so many so many reasons to feel dead inside toward you. That our sometimes our lives are so good that. Everything is, everything is great, and it doesn't feel like we need you. Sometimes our lives are, are not great, and we're not reaching for you. And uh, so I'm just praying for the folks that walked in and just, who would just say, like, my spiritual temperature is, is pretty low. It's, it's not, not heating up. So, Lord, would you, would you awaken us? Would you uh, speak to us through your word? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Glad you're here this morning. We're in Luke chapter 22, picking it up in verse 39, going through uh, verse 46 there. And uh, we're, we really want to see Jesus for who he actually is. That's what we're that's what we're here to do. Um, I'm I'm hopefully I, I speak in a way that that is uh, compelling and, and hopefully I speak in a way that's that awakens you to the reality of who Jesus is and what he has for you. But at the end of the day, like that is the goal is is not not just to to wow you with great uh, speaking skills, but it is to just present to you Jesus. And so my my hope this morning is that you would see Jesus uh, in this passage. This passage is the beginning of some immense pain that Jesus is about to go through. It's not that he hasn't experienced pain before in his life, it's just that that right now is the moment that it's, it's really all coming crashing down. And so it's, it's all coming crashing down and, and he is beginning to uh, experience this pain. I think it's pertinent for us because the way that we view pain uh, in the Western world is that it is to be avoided at all costs. It is, it is to avoid anything that feels like pain. It is... Like, if you're experiencing pain, something must be wrong. Um, You know, that's why we have super high, um, you know, uh, (laughs) um, rates of uh, people who are taking painkillers and people who are using drugs, illicit drugs, and people who are um, on antidepressants and, and things like that. All of those things are good gifts from God through technology that can be used properly. And I'm not criticizing anyone who is who is using those things uh, properly, but what I am saying is that there's a very high rate of use of those things, and not just those things, lots of things to try to avoid pain. Uh, we even try to avoid inconveniences, like massively. I mean, like there's an app for that. I mean, you remember that statement? I don't remember where it came from, but there's, there's an app for that. Like there's, there, there's these seemingly insignificant inconveniences that happened to us like I, I don't want to have to drive through a drive-through like I just want to order it on my phone I'm going to pull up in front of McDonald's and they're just they're going to know that I'm there I don't even even have to tell them that I'm there like I, I think that's the way the app works I've never uh used it uh, but uh it sounds nice it's 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 an inconvenience that that's for sure but you think about all of the things that you can get an app for um there's like health uh apps and there's watches that are like you know uh you know, reading, you know, your heart rate and, and all of this stuff, like avoiding the inconvenience of getting stressed out. And, and like, sometimes I wonder, like, is this, were we meant to know this much information about our bodies or our lives? Or, you know, were we really meant to avoid all of these things, but we are dead set against experiencing pain or even any kind of inconvenience. But then like on the other side, like I've been, I mentioned this last week, but I've, been watching this documentary about tom brady which i've loved i love documentaries um but uh been watching this documentary and and he towards the end of the documentary is talking about pain and he's talking about like and and not like avoiding it but like going through it and like going through the pain is like where you know you know happiness came from wherever it was success i mean here's this guy who's like this this major uh you know football superstar who is very accomplished and he's saying like, it's not avoiding pain, it's, it's going through pain kind of a deal. So you have this contradiction of like, here we have a culture that's so about avoiding pain, but then you have people who are, you know, like superstars occasionally who are saying things like that. And so what is it? What is, what, what's the answer to this? How do, we, how do we deal with pain? How do we deal with suffering? How do we, um, you know, really experience this stuff uh, that were that we're going through. Uh, Bill Clinton had this famous line, I think he said, I really only know it because I watched SNL during the Clinton administration, and the guy who would always play uh, uh, Clinton uh, you know had this great impression where he'd say, "I feel your pain, you know something like that and uh, and apparently like Bill Clinton was known for this like he, he would make people feel like uh, he felt their pain. but Jesus is the real leader. I mean, I, I don't know if that was a question in your mind, as whether Bill Clinton or Jesus, which one was better, like, that, you know, you came to the right place. Like, this is, this is awesome, and then I get to tell you that Jesus is clearly the, the better leader because Jesus really actually does feel your pain, you know. He really does, he really experiences that. And sometimes what happens is we really kind of miss who Jesus is. We miss what he's like. We miss uh, kind of what he actually experienced. And I, I, I had one of our guys like do some digging, which wasn't very difficult. He Googled it and uh, and found some, some pictures here of, uh, of Jesus. Now, this is Jesus in the garden uh, under immense strain, agony, and pain. He looks incredibly stressed out, doesn't he? Like, I mean, just looks terrible. I mean, he just is very worried, very... Uh, very, very uh, anxious about things. Let's, let's look at the, the next one here. Another very anxious photo of Jesus. Is, does he look anxious? I, I don't know about this. Maybe let's look at, let's look at another one here. Um, someone left a light on behind his head. I don't know how that happened when they're taking the picture. Or that's a halo. I'm not sure, but he's also very... This is supposed to be Jesus in the garden. That's Jesus in the garden, uh, the Son of God, and he is in immense pain. And then I think we've got another one. Yeah, another one. I mean, his hair is a little bit disheveled right here, and so perhaps he uh, was shaking his head or something. And so he's very stressed out. There. Let's go to this next one. This one is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more descriptive. But what I think what we're missing here is that Jesus really did feel your pain. Re- Jesus really did experience pain. He really did go through it. A lot of times we talk about the deity of Christ. We talk about Jesus and his godness, that he was fully God. But one of the things that we don't talk about as much, because I think sometimes because we're afraid to say this, but there's a problem with this, and that is we talk about his godness, his deity, and then we minimize his humanity. We minimize the fact that he was fully God and fully man. And as such, he experienced immense pain. And so what I want you to see is I want you to see, excuse me, I want you to see his humanity. In Hebrews chapter five, verse seven, it says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus, it wasn't that he was sitting there going, dear father, I realize what I'm about to go through is going to be very difficult, but I'm willing to do it. No, it, there, is, there was like wailing that was happening. It was loud cries and tears. He's wailing. Perhaps he's convulsing. Perhaps he's, he's, he's so immensely in this moment where he is like, I am at death's door. Like, life is coming to an end for me. The weight of the world is on my shoulders. And there are loud cries and tears that he's dealing with. Mark 14, verse 33, which is another uh, gospel account of this same situation, um, says this. It says, And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And then he says to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Like he says, I am so greatly distressed and troubled. I am so immensely in this moment that it it is overtaking me. In fact, that word uh, greatly distressed doesn't just mean greatly distressed because it's translated from the original language. It also means greatly astounded or amazed. It's as if Jesus is saying, like, I cannot believe how bad this feels. I cannot believe the pain that I'm going through. Can't see you guys. I gotta gotta keep my eyes on you. Okay, I cannot believe what what I'm experiencing. I cannot believe what I'm feeling. I cannot stand it. Like, I feel like I'm gonna die right here and right now. In fact, the passage says that Jesus is like, It's like he was sweating blood. Was he he sweating blood or wasn't he? We're not sure. Commentators are split on this. But what what it is saying is that somebody wanted to describe this in a way that says, it was like he was sweating blood. Like he was under such immense pain, under such immense distress. Matthew 26 says, that Jesus says to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. It's not just the pain of, of like impending uh, you know, physical harm, but it's the pain of betrayal. It's the pain of, of actually being betrayed. I mean, have you, you ever been in a situation where it's like, man, I fought that this person was my friend i couldn't find out they're trash talking me i thought this person was on my side and now they're against me you know we're, we're dealing with all kinds of you know relationships relational stuff with our, our kids as they're in junior high and, and high, two of our kids are ones in junior high the other ones in high school and just relationships and and what happens in those times and, and people competing for uh you know, power, influence, you know, um, whatnot comes to the surface. And there's moments where it's just like, man, I thought that person was my friend, and yet this is how they're treating me. And that's just in high school or junior high, and that's painful. But Jesus has been walking with Judas for a long time. He's been walking with him, for three years. This is a guy that's been with him. He's not like close, close, but he's, he's, he's kind of he's close. He's one of the 12 disciples that have been walking with Jesus. He's a friend that's been with him uh, for some time. And no doubt, they've sat around the campfire. No doubt, I mean, they sat you know, around the Last Supper. I mean, no, no doubt, they've they been traveling together. They've had so many experiences together. All of those things. Think about how you would feel when that person walks away, when that person stops uh, contacting you, when that person like, just straight up goes and like sells you out. But it's not just Judas that sells him out. What I just read to you is Jesus saying, hey, like, I know that like Judas is gonna do, do this to me, but it's not just Judas, it's, it's the rest of you. The, it's the rest of all of you, are gonna walk away from me. Every single one of you. I mean, those pictures don't do any justice to the mental anguish and the strain of the rejection that is happening in Jesus' life. He was fully human. He's very sorrowful. He's greatly distressed. He's greatly astounded. He's amazed. At the level of pain, it says in verse 44 of our passage, Luke 22, and being being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. He's, He's in agony, he's in pain, he's distressed. Jesus is human. He's not just human, but he is fully God and he is fully man. And guess what? He feels your pain. He feels what you feel. He feels what you've gone through. So the first thing that I wanted you to see was I wanted you to see his his humanity. The second thing that I want you to see is I want you to see his faithfulness. But I first want you to consider the disciples. Jesus has just said to the disciples, I want you to pray that you would not enter into temptation. He says that twice in, the, in this passage. Luke quotes him in there. What's this temptation about? Well, the temptation is, is I think, is, is pointing to, pointing back to Luke 22, verse 31, which we talked about last week, where Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, or Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. What's, what, what does that mean? Well, somehow Satan speaks to Jesus, and Jesus is, knows that Satan is wanting a piece of him. But it's not just about Peter. It's about all of them. The, the you there, he, Satan demanded to have you, is plural. Satan demanded to have you all. He demanded to have you all, that he might get a piece of you, that he might tempt you away from me, that he might drag you away. And Jesus is saying, I want you to pray that you wouldn't fall away. But as we know, they do fall away. You will all fall away from me, Jesus says. So Jesus is, is, is saying, I want you to pray over this because they have the same problem that we do. What does faithfulness look like for us when things get difficult? What does faithfulness look like when things get difficult with, with God in our life? What, what's, it, what's it look like in the, in the midst of all of our circumstances? What, what, what does faithfulness look like? Because I here, here's the thing. I think that we finish this sentence from Daryl Bach in a way that is not intended. He says, the way to faithfulness in the midst of hostile rejection of Christ is the, the way to be faithful in the midst of rejection of Christ the way to be faithful in the midst of rejection of self the way to be faithful in the midst of life not going the way that I want it to the way to be faithful in the midst of suffering the way to be whatever it is in the midst of this chaotic world that we live in today the way to be faithful is maybe to organize it might be to vote It might be to resist, it might be to attack, it might be to resolve, it might be to contend, it might be to protest, to politic, to post, to like. Something like that. It's like the way to be faithful is I gotta stand up for my rights and I gotta do this and I gotta do that. I got craziness on both sides. The way to be faithful is, is it gets confused. And some of us, like we're not entering into any of that. It just, it kind of goes another direction where it's like uh, the way to be faithful is to just kind of put that out of my mind. And so what I, what I find myself doing, uh, you might say, is uh, you know I pick up a bottle, I pick up food, I pick up sex, I pick up work, I pick up uh, politics, I pick up anxiety, I pick up depression, anger, frustration, pride, arrogance, position, power, intellect, beauty. The way to be faithful is, you know what? I just got to pick myself up and I got to pour myself into something else. Like the way to be faithful in the midst of this world is just to do better in some other way or to numb myself, try to numb myself out of feeling anything, out of feeling what's going on. Maybe that's what it is. But Daryl Bach says this. He says, the way to faithfulness in the midst of hostile rejection of Christ is a dependent spirit that communes with God the way to be faithful in the midst of all of this this pain and suffering and the stuff that we experience is not in picking something up some new habit some new some new way of working some new way of being all that you can be some self-help psychology some type of uh some type some way to numb myself the way to be faithful is actually to lay those things down so that I can pick up Jesus And sometimes I just need to pick up Jesus so that I set some of those things down. How does Jesus remain faithful? How does Jesus remain faithful? The first thing is this, he gets alone. He gets alone. Look at verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. It's difficult to do. It's difficult to be alone today. Not for everybody. There's some of you that are single, single parents that are, I mean, it's incredibly difficult for you sometimes because you've been isolated. I don't know how isolated you are, but some some of your main friends that you used to hang out with are really afraid of COVID, and so you can't hang out with them anymore, and so you found yourself being very alone through the pandemic. Jesus feels your pain. But for a lot of us, getting alone is really difficult. Getting really alone is really difficult. Because there's so many things that can distract us. So many things that we can pour our time into. There's so many things that we can can say, you know, I'm, I'm doing something good right now, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm listening to a book, I'm bettering myself. That's gotta be better than me just talking to myself Or me just, you know, listening to nothing. Like, I should listen to a book. I I make that excuse all the time. Like, I, uh, you know, try to listen to books, listen to podcasts. You know, when you're talking, talk for a living, uh, you got to have more words. You just got to keep putting more words in your head. And so it's easy for me to not be alone with my thoughts. It's easy for me to not get alone. And you might be in the same place where it's just like, I'm just never alone with my thoughts. I just always have something playing. I always have something that I'm listening to. I always have something that's just right there. But Jesus gets alone. And and again, the phone eliminating or avoiding minor inconveniences, the inconvenience of having nothing to do. One of the things that we're trying to train our kids to do is, is uh, which, which is hard when you're doing it, but um, is, uh, is like when, you, when you're alone or like when you're in, in, a, in a school setting or whatever and only one of our kids has, has a phone right now that we watch, you know, pretty uh, aggressively, but is, is to not pick up the phone like when you don't know anybody in a room. Like, you don't have time to you like connect with people. Like, you don't have time to, time to do that. But you also do that when you're alone alone. It's like, I have nothing to do right now, so I'm just gonna look at something. I'm gonna see something, I'm gonna read something, I'm gonna listen to something. So the first thing that Jesus does is that he withdraws from them, and he kneels down and prays, he gets alone. The second thing that he does is he gets real in three ways. To himself, to others, and to God. He gets real. He's r- really honest about what's, what's going, going on. He's honest, like he's aware of what he's thinking. He's aware of how he feels. He gets honest with himself. I, I am somebody who, who does not like to feel my feelings. I don't like to feel pain. I don't like to feel anything. My counselor tells me, you know, Matt, what you are really good at is you're good at uh, being productive. It's just like, I got to be productive. Like, my self-esteem rises and falls on whether I got anything done. Like, did I start something new at the church? Did I talk to this person? Did I do that? Did I make this happen? Did we go plant a church over there? Did we do this? Did we do that? Did we do do all these things? And I I just got to keep my mind busy, keep my mind busy because... I don't want to feel my feelings I don't want to feel and it, it just sounds it doesn't fa- sound manly all right that's that's probably the other problem with it is uh, I, I just I can't stand feeling what I'm feeling and I've actually had to do a bunch of work on that to, to feel my feelings and so what I've had to do is I've had to write down what's actually causing me stress like when I get alone and I begin to just go, okay, I got a lot of stuff going on in my head right now. I don't feel right, something feels off. I have to start writing some things down and just go, like, man, there's, there's one thing, and that's, like, that's really stressing me out, that like we found out at the, you know, just the other day that like we won't have the building in Silverton that we have right now for the, the church plant that we have out there, and so we've gotta find a new space that's happening a lot sooner than we thought it was going to, we thought we had till, you know, March or April, something like that. And so now we got to hustle and and make that happen. And and I'm thinking to myself, man, like we've got like 200 people that are going to church out there now. And it's like, holy crud, like what am I going to do? Because now these people don't have anywhere to go. And maybe I'm a a moron because I should have figured this out and known that this was going to happen. And like all that stuff is going on in my mind, even though there's no way that I could have predicted that or figured that out. And God has blessed that thing. And that's, that's fantastic. But I had to write that down and I had to say, man, that thing's on my mind. That thing's there. And then this relationship within my family and, this, and th- these relationships and this circumstance and that circumstance. And I'm writing these things down and I'm just going, man, there's a lot of stuff there. I had to write down like what's causing pain? What's causing distress? What's, what's causing problems in my life? And I had to feel my feelings with that and I had to experience it. I do experience it so that I could then be open with others. So first, Jesus gets real with himself, but then he also gets real with others. Again Mark 14, He takes Peter, James, and John with them. He shows them how he feels. He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Like that was said, and Mark wrote that down. Mark wrote that down and said, man, somebody saw Jesus, probably Peter, somebody saw Jesus during this time and Peter's like, dude, the guy was stressed. The guy was, he was messed up. Like he was not enjoying life at this time. Mark writes that down and he he became very distressed and troubled and then Jesus says to them, he says to his friends, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, like guys, like I'm at the point where I feel like I'm going to die. I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to die. I don't know. Do you got any friends like that? You got people that you communicate with on that level? I know a lot of us guys don't. We don't talk about those things. I'm, I'm really thankful. I, I have a lot of great friends, even in this church. But I, some of my closest friends are in the network that, that this church is a part of called Acts 29. And some really good friends in there. And in that, in that context, these guys share with me what's going on in their life and what's difficult for them and you know stuff that they're you know hurts and problems and, and stuff like that. But you know what's hard for me? It's hard for me to call them up and be like, I got problems. Like this this hurts. This stinks. I'm 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 stressed about this. I think it's it might be pride. Pride that like, I'm always helping you with your stuff and I don't want to seem like I got any problems. That's probably, if I'm honest, that's (laughs) probably, we're just just gonna do this right here, right in front of you there, right? Uh, But like it's, you know, recently I've been like, you know what, I call these guys friends and that means that if they're my closest friends that I need to call them and say, man, this is going on. Jesus is re- gets real with himself, with others, and then also to God, God the Father. See, Jesus, Jesus is God the Son. God the Father is the one that Jesus is praying to. It's not, it's not that God the Father became God the Son, that's called modalism, that's a heresy. Uh, don't, don't believe that. It's that God the Father is independent from God the Son, and yet they are one in the Godhead. Very confusing it's called the Trinity, but you have uh, God the Son who's praying to the Father and he's praying to the Father and it, it's almost like Tom Brady might seem more manly than Jesus. It's, it's almost like Tom Brady might be more manly because Jesus doesn't have this like heroic posture right here per se because jesus also wants to avoid pain when he says father verse 42 if you are willing remove this cup father if you are willing remove this cup from me jesus jesus is is in this place where he's like this is painful This is distressing, this is agonizing. Jesus is convulsing, he's crying loudly. And Jesus is pouring this out to God the Father. Now why is he pouring this out to God the Father? We talked about last week that there is nothing that can thwart God's plan. Jesus is praying to God the Father because He has a full belief in the reality that there's nothing that can change God's plan. There's nothing that can stop it. He's the one who's completely in control. And Jesus is saying, man, Father, like I know that you have a will, but if there's any possible way that this could change, that you could change if we could just like stop time and just like reverse things and just say, "Oh no, we're not going to plan that. Let's just change it." Jesus is saying, "If there's any possible way that you could have changed this, I'm just asking that that would happen." Like Jesus isn't about avoiding pain, but he's also not this superhuman football hero who says, I'll go through anything. I'll do whatever. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see what's, what's happening? Jesus wants you to see something. There's this thing in our brains called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons, when they, they see someone or something, the way that someone else acts, another person, when they see the way that that person acts, we in, in some ways mirror that. The reason why we call this series, Real Jesus, is because we want you to see Jesus. The reason why the gospels are written is that you can see Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. So if you can see Jesus and you can see what he's like, maybe you can experience him. Maybe you can understand him. Maybe you can know him on some level. Maybe Maybe you can start to begin to act like him and so Jesus is saying, like, I, I want you to see that I am in this place of deep pain, deep suffering. I'm communicating it to myself, to others, and to God the Father, and I just want it to change. But even in the midst of wanting it to change, he gets submissive. I told you there's three things here. He gets alone, he gets real, and now he's getting submissive. He gets submissive. He submits to the will of God. Father, if you're willing to remove this cup from me, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, put that into perspective with what we're so often doing with God. The thought can come, like if life isn't going well for me, like if if the things that I'm I'm involved with aren't successful, if I'm experiencing pain in any way, because I want to avoid pain. If, I'm, if, if like life isn't moving in the direction that I want it to, if that's what's happening, then something must be wrong. We have many, many people who walk away from Jesus and say, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm no, no longer that. Because they never got it in the first place. They never were taught this idea that like Jesus feels your pain beyond what you've ever experienced. The weight of the world is on his shoulders, and yet he gets submissive. We get in the habit of prescribing to God what really should be. God, I can't believe you let me experience this. I can't believe you'd let this happen in my life. I can't believe that this, that this would take place. Like, are you real or not? Like, make my marriage work. Are you real or not? Make this relationship work out. Are you real or not? Make this pandemic stop. Are you real or not? See, that's not submission to God the Father. In order to come to God, in order to be in relationship with him, in order to, in order to experience him, There must be some level of submission. Now, as we grow in Christ, we become more submissive. We're not like all of a sudden like, whatever you want, God, anytime, anywhere. No, it's like it's it's a growing process. But that growing process happens through pain. C.S. Lewis calls it the megaphone of God that he uses to speak to us. It's through pain. And the only question is is whether you're going to submit to God's plan. Not my will, but yours be done. If there's nothing that can thwart God's plan, and this is your plan, and this is what you have for me for today, the thing fell apart. I got sick. Someone died. I lost the business. I lost the house. I lost whatever it is. Jesus has been there and submitted, and he's calling you to submission. But your submission is not nearly as difficult as his. Because what's the submission to? It is to the will of God, but it's to the will of God in one particular thing, and that is in the cup. If you're a willing, remove this, cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. What is the cup? What is, what is this, this cup that we're talking about? A commentator named Bill Lane says about the cup, the dreadful sorrow and anxiety then, out of which the prayer for the passing of the cup springs is not an expression of fear before a dark destiny, nor a shrinking from the prospect of physical suffering and death. It is rather the horror of the one who lives wholly for the Father. Jesus came to be with the Father for an interlude before his betrayal, but found hell rather than heaven opened before him. What does the cup represent jesus comes to pray before the father and it's as if all the betrayals didn't matter it's as if all of the pain didn't matter it's it's as if the the whipping the crown of thorns it's like it's as if all of that didn't matter in a sense. This commentator is saying, I think it did. I think it does contribute to his pain and his anguish. But Jesus didn't say, man, let the the whipping, I really don't like to be whipped or let my friends come back or whatever. No, he says this cup. The cup represents the wrath of God. The cup is the wrath of God. Throughout the Old Testament, it talks about that God's wrath is talked about in a cup. Jesus is saying, like, here is this cup that I am about to drink. And and what's in that cup? It's the wrath of God against all sin. It is every bit of the wrath of God encapsulated in this cup that he is to drink. And it is his justice. It is his recompense. It is what God has poured into this cup and, 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 and included in that is the sins of the world. It's, it's, it's the sins of the world. It's not a literal cup, it's a figurative cup that, is like, that combines the idea of all of the sins of humanity, all of the backstabbing, all of the infidelity, all of the pain, all of the everything, that we have ever caused, not just ourselves, but the weight of the world, the sins of the world, like in this cup. And Jesus is sitting there and, and He's looking at it and He's just going, I've got to drink this. I've got to take this. This was planned from the beginning of time. This, this was planned by God. This and I've got to drink this. I've got to, I've got to take this in. Like, I've got to, this is going to be so much. And it's not just that. It's not just the rejection of the friends. It's the rejection of the Father. It's the rejection of the Father because when Jesus drinks the cup by the will of God, of which Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, I give it of my own accord. I'm doing this on my own. When Jesus drinks the cup, He, although briefly, loses relationship with the Father. And He doesn't just have rejection on a personal level for some type of junior high or high school or just some kind of relationship here or there. He has full rejection of God, His Father. Why? He did that for you. He did that for you. Like he, he takes that on. He takes that sin, that shame, that devastation. He takes that on. And there is such immense love for you that Jesus, fully human, takes this on and he says, I am going to take every bit of rejection and pain and suffering and the wrath of God and the justice of God all wrapped up into one and I'm going to ingest it and I am going to deal with it on the cross. So Jesus goes to the cross And He takes on every bit of your sin, your shame. Not just the sins that you've committed, but the sins that have been committed against you. And He absorbs it. And He's offering you something else. It's not a a sinless life. He offers you righteousness, yeah. It's, it's, It's not a painless life, but He's offering you a cup to drink yourself. Not of the wrath of God, but of the suffering. The scripture invites us to suffer with him, to suffer alongside of him. That doesn't save us. What it does is it, is it says this. It says, man, I see what Jesus has done for me. I see all of the ways that I have continually walked away from him and rejected him and I'm, and that I have not been I have not been connected with that idea I like and now that I see the reality of this God man who was fully man and experienced all of this now what wouldn't I give to him don't you see like Christianity isn't something that you're sprinkling on the side. It's not a garnish on your life. It's not, it's not something that you add in on Sundays. It's not something that you just kind of gives you some moral advice. It is all-encompassing, like life-altering, because this guy, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a man who truly lived, who claimed to be God, who was God, fully experience pain and suffering for you. And now he's inviting you to experience pain and suffering, but with purpose. And the purpose is this. It says in the scriptures that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Do you live a life worthy of having lost people want to find Jesus as a result? Do you want to live a life fully that's that's fully aware of the pain that's going on in your life, like you're honest about what's going on? Those pictures of Jesus that I showed you, that's that's ridiculous that's the God that most of us are following by the way like dead Christianity comes from us thinking that we have this stoic Jesus who's just praying oh father I'm so I'm so much in agony life-filled excited passionate Christianity comes into focus when you go that dude suffered he suffered he suffered for me. He drank the wrath. What wouldn't I give to him? What wouldn't I offer to him? And that's why you can, you can get into the scriptures. I got I to read this scripture for you really quick. Where the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God that were poured out to you through Jesus on the cross and him ingesting the wrath. Like, I'm not coming to you saying, do better, or you don't get God. No, he's saying, I'm appealing to you on the basis of, like, God's mercy being shown to you through Jesus, drinking that to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Are you sleeping with someone you shouldn't be? Are you looking at stuff you shouldn't be? Is your life not devoted to God? Are you not in a place of of holiness, of righteousness? Are you in a place of deadness? Join the club. That's this entire group here. He's offering you. He's wooing you. He's inviting you into passion. He's inviting you to say, what wouldn't I give up for him? What wouldn't I offer to him? It's this is, this is the whole reason why we, why we preach every week. It's, it's everything. Everything. What wouldn't I give? That's the reason why we look at Jesus. That's the reason why we talk about him.